You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. Welcome to the Forefront Church Podcast. This is a different voice you're hearing because Rob is having brunch somewhere with other family. So I'm Darren Entz, and with me, as always, most of the time, is Drew. How are you doing, Drew? I'm good, Darren. Good to hear that yeah. golden voice of yours today. Well, yeah. I'd rather hear Rob, but it's my <laughs> duty today. So. Yeah. Yeah, welcome, everyone. Um, Drew, talk to us about last week's sermon. Yeah, we spent some time looking at Acts chapter 17 and seeing Paul in Athens, Greece. And he was walking around Athens and he saw all these statues and all these shrines built to the Greek gods. And it was estimated that there were over 3,000 statues and shrines in Athens. And so it really bothered Paul. And so Paul went into the synagogue and then he went into the marketplace and started to teach about Jesus. And he gets approached by these two groups of people, the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers. And they invite him to the Areopagus, which is imagine a giant rock 370 feet off the ground, little mountain, mini mountain. Mm-hmm. In, climb, it, climb the mountain. Climb the mountain. Place. You, if you go there today, there's stairs. But I wonder, mm-hmm. you know, did they have like a, a pulley system or yeah, rock climbing gear to get up there? And that was a place where guys like Aristotle and Plato would, would um, you know, think through philosophy and, and life. And so Paul goes up there and they ask Paul to teach them more about these new things that he's he's bringing to their ears and he begins to tell them about, um, about Jesus, but kind of his, his bridge was he, he noticed that as you walked around Athens, he saw a statue to an unknown God. And so the Greeks, you know, they believed in this pantheon of gods and it was thought that there was up to 30,000 different gods that the Greeks worshiped. That's crazy. It's crazy. And so they were so afraid of missing one that they had a, a statue with this inscription to an unknown God. And Paul uses that to say, hey, I know who that God is. Let me tell you, he is actually the only real God who made heaven and earth. So really kind of a cool way for Paul to bring the gospel to a group that's never heard about Jesus before. Yeah, and something that you said that that struck me, there were, there were two big things. One was talking about worship, because in that culture, like, how in the world do you worship? If you if there's 30,000 gods, well, they obviously narrowed it down if there's 3,000 statues or little mini temples there. How in the world do you worship that many gods? So, like, what does what a daily life look like for someone in Athens? Yeah, I think there would be a combination of, of things. And so some of it was seasonal. <clears throat> you'd worship the God of rain or you'd worship the, you know, the God of the harvest or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but often, you know, they would go to these temple sacrifices where they would eat meat. So they'd go and they'd worship the God of wine. And so they'd go and they drink wine. And it was basically a lot of parties, right? Mm -hmm. There was also some really gross stuff that would go on. So the God of fertility, for instance, they would go and there would be 
you know, sexual activity that would happen at this temple where there would be prostitution and things like that. So really, really dark stuff was happening in some places. Other places, it was almost like a backyard barbecue where they would go and they would sacrifice, say, some, you know, uh, a bull to, you know, uh, a certain God, right? And then they would all eat and and have a, a party. And so it was part of life that they were continually trying to do everything they could to worship these gods, to give them sacrifices or to pay homage to them so that those gods would bless them with, with crops and with rain and, and with, you know, with, with kids and, you know, those kind of things. So other than Jesus yesterday, I think the God you mentioned most was the God of barbecue sauce. <laughs> right. He, you know, I, that we, we haven't figured out his name yet, yeah. but I'm thinking it's Guy Fieri, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, so something we're, we're going to talk about today, you know, Drew and I were, were brainstorming what we're going to do and we're, we're going to kind of bounce off of this conversation because of all the gods that people worship in Athens and talk about the gods that we worship in our culture. And we're going to get to some things, uh, where we as Christians want to make sure we have a loving response to this because we're going to talk about how people worship ourselves, um, other religions. And even we're going to get eventually to talking about the sparkle creed, which Drew mentioned, um, a little bit ago, and and we want to make sure um, that anyone listening to this that we we temper our response when we talk about these things, um, because uh, and I'll share this story um, that someone else shared with me. One of my close friends works closely with women who've had abortions, and as Christians, we believe that that a a, a child in the womb is a human life, independent, and and should not be um, be killed. And so when we talk about that in church, everyone's very passionate about this. And so we find ourselves saying amen, even applauding or like vocally confirming that, yes, this is what we believe. And oh, how awful is this? But here's the thing. Chances are that there are women in every one of our congregations here in the United States that have had abortions, whether it was their own choice or whether it was forced upon them by their partner or, or something. And Put yourself in, in the shoes of that person who's had an abortion. They they know that it was wrong, but they they felt like they had no other choice. And now they're sitting in our church congregation, and people are 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 vocally confirming that this is evil. It's a sin, and we we gotta people need to stop this. And how how would that person feel? We want to make sure that as we have these discussions, that we put ourselves in the shoes of a person who has these beliefs, who worships these these other gods. And make sure that we do not, by our actions and even by our applause or our likes on Facebook and, and TikTok, that we don't um, we don't ostracize people that really need to be in church and need to hear the truth, because that the, the church is where people come to hear the truth. Okay, we are all at this different journey, and so we want to make sure. Uh, just that as we're heading towards this conversation that that we're sensitive. I think it's such a great point, Darren. We as the church have to be the place that people can come find truth and grace. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus really modeled what truth and grace looked like. I think of the woman caught in adultery, right? He, he He shows her love and grace, but yet at the same time, he tells her to go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. And so I think for us as a church, people have to be able to walk in, hear truth, but be loved and be able to experience what it looks like to be able to navigate through the difficulties that we've experienced in our life and find the the grace and the the hope and peace that Jesus offers. And so when we talk about things like we're going to talk about today, 
whether it's idolatry or it's, you know, the worship of the self and how that can flow into different, you know, different ways we live our lives. I think it's important. You're right. That we don't just hammer and stand and say, no, this is, this is the, the, um, you know, the way that God's word speaks about it. And this is final and you should feel terrible about yourself, but no, like Jesus offers grace and peace Mm -hmm. and forgiveness. And so if this is something Jesus goes to eat with those people, he does. He absolutely does. Yeah. Yeah, And he comes and he brings us through and helps us to experience the new life. So we don't have to walk in the shame and guilt of our past mistakes. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a really important thing that we recognize that, yeah, we believe what the Bible says. And as part of that, we also want to show the love of Christ so that, um, those people who have been walking in difficult seasons can experience that new life that only Jesus offers. Yeah, so let's talk about worship. Drew, how did, because worship is like an overarching principle that we are always worshiping something. I often say it's whatever you give your time, attention, and allegiance to. So if you're going to baseball games every single night, to a certain extent, you're worshiping baseball games. If you go to church every week, you're hopefully worshiping God. So what what is worship to you, Drew? Yeah, I quoted this um, great quote I found by Louis Giglio this week, and he talked about, he said, worship is what, is our response to what we value most in life. And so we often think about worship being this, you know, bowing down or this raising a hand and singing a song. But really worship is what we do every day in our lives. And so, you know, if you worship um, your career, you can obviously identify that because you're spending all of your time focused on work. Mm-hmm. Um, like you, jo- you know, you joked about, about worshiping baseball, but really if you, what you value most in life is sports and all you do is play sports and you don't have time for anything else in your life. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the chances are that's the way that you're identifying it. Your response to that is how you, yeah. is how you worship. So I just watched La La Land yesterday. Oh, okay. I'm a big fan. I, I, love I haven't this. seen it yet. Oh, it's, it, well, it's a musical, so I don't oh, know. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I love the cinematography and how they tell the story and the, the, the hearkening back to old musicals and stuff. Um, but they, it, it's a very interesting commentary on people's careers, especially focused around uh, music and acting, uh, being an actress and that kind of stuff. And what, what the story that they tell is these two people getting together who kind of push each other to achieve their dreams which are based on their careers. Mm. So this one guy is a piano player. He loves jazz. He wants to have his own club where they play jazz and, and do stuff. And then the the uh, girl in the relationship, she wants to be an actress and be a movie star. And they both push each other. And at the end of the story, they achieve their dreams, but they lose each other. Oh, wow. And so, sorry, spoiler alert. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't have to I, see it now. I, I might have to edit this and go say spoiler alert earlier. But... Um, they yeah they in, in finding their careers they lose each other and so their their priority what they worship was their careers instead of each other I mean God of course isn't in this uh, thing at all but it's it's just a, an interesting commentary are you going to pursue your career at the sacrifice of a family or a spouse it, like without God that's a completely okay thing to do um, and I think the end of the story leaves it open for interpretation. Like, yeah. because they go back and in this cinematic musical way, they retell the story in like seven minutes of what mm. their life could have been like had they not pursued their careers as much. Right. They could have ended up together. Um, so interesting that that just came to my mind because yeah, what, like, what do we worship and what do we find our identity in? A lot right. of, a, a lot of people, it might be careers. A lot of people, it could be family. A lot of people, it's kids. I see this in small town America where I came from. Like your life revolves around your children 
and your child is an angel. And if they disobey a, a teacher in school, it's like, no, this isn't my kid. It's like, yes, it is. Like, get over the fact that your child is a terror in school. <laughs> they might be an angel at home, right? But they're different in different places. So yeah, um, and then the the Greek people worship all these kinds of gods, and we think that we don't worship gods. We're not. We're we're just an atheistic culture. Well, I think. Those same gods, if there's any kind of spiritual activity behind them, which we think there is, they're very good at disguising disguising themselves in our culture. So how do those things turn up in our culture? You know, Tim Keller talks about idolatry being that thing that you value most. And so it's interesting. You think about worship and idolatry can be found in what do you value most? And so you look and you talk about, you know, what, what do we spend our time on? What do we spend our money on? Where do we put our energy towards? Those can identify the things that we are placing a high priority on in our life. And so you're right. We, we might not say we're worshiping gods, but we are making idols out of these different things in our lives. And so, you know, it's it's not like a, like a carved image, right? But it's it's still it's still a thing that we can identify. Yeah, that's not like a, the god of the universe. Yeah, you think of an idol, you know, especially if you go back to the Old Testament, it's a, a carved wooden or stone or gold figure that you have in your home mm-hmm. that you carry or you carry around with you in your travel or whatever it might be, and this is the thing that you are worshiping because it represents this other thing, yeah. right? It's and, a, and humans are not supposed to make idols because right. God already made His image, which yeah. is humans. Right. That doesn't mean we're supposed to worship ourselves. Exactly. And yet. But Isn't that we one do. of the main... Yeah, we, we do worship ourselves. We do. And, you know, our hearts are idol factories, as Martin Luther once said. And and so I think if you looked at our life, while we don't attach a divinity, you know, a deity to it, we worship we worship our comfort. We worship our entertainment. We worship um, our security. We worship our careers. We mm-hmm. worship our families. You know, you mentioned, you know, being a teacher, right? As a, as a teacher, there was a, a point in time when I was a kid, at least I felt like when I got in trouble at school, it was my fault. Mm-hmm. But as, as you just said, as a teacher in today's world, if a kid gets trouble at school, it's a teacher's fault. Mm-hmm. And so I think it would be weird for somebody to go, why well, worship my kids? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody would say that, but right. again, if all of your energy and focus is towards providing them comfort and I mean obviously you want to be a good parent mm-hmm. but if it's everybody else's fault that your kid is is not doing well in school right. then then maybe that's an identification that that's become an idol yeah it's it's hard for me because I'm a parent now been two and a half years I, I find it very difficult and I think this is universal it's I think it's really difficult to have a kid and come away thinking that humanity is basically good right <laughs> <laughs> because we, we we're trying to coach those things out of our kids we, we try to teach kids to share. If you're teaching your kid to be selfish and not share their toy, that's that's not a good value in our right. culture. Um, right. And so we, we we try to teach, coach those things out of our kids so they do share. They're considerate of others. They have empathy. They understand what it's like to be someone else so that when they take away the car that this other kid was playing with and they start to cry, I'm like, hey, do you know how that feels? Like, let me do it to you. Yeah. You know? Right. So, like, <laughs> yeah, do you know how this works? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's the the idea that humanity is basically good is something that is very pervasive and has happened recently. It has. That right. every person, and this is how we worship ourselves in our culture, that every person can discover who they are in and of themselves. You're not supposed to look to anybody else to be who you are. You be you. You, you don't have to allow anyone else to define you. And at a certain level, very minimally, 
there is a good thing in that. That, yeah, some people are very judgmental and you should not care what they think about you. Right. But should you completely detach yourself from your own family, from your own culture, from your own, um, from how you fit into our society and, and find your own identity? Well, if you do that, that's where we start to discover some of these things like the Sparkle Creed yeah. and, and how we, we are fitting something we're taking something out of context and from scripture and fitting it into a mold that we have defined in our own terms. Right. And, and, and that's when it starts to, and I think you talked about this in the sermon, you, you become a distorted self yeah. when you don't look to a foundational idea that that's found in, in scripture. Yeah. You try to put yourself in, you try to fit your life within a framework that culture, or that other people have tried to build for you. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the groups that Paul talks to here is the Epicureans. And the Epicureans at, at this point were functional atheists, right? They, you know, I, I think they still believe that God kind of said it, th- that the Greek God said it and forget it, right? So is it kind of like deism in the it's, 1700s? Um, you know, it, it a little bit, a little bit, right? I think so like the, the image then was a clockmaker. Yeah. And it was kind of a clockmaker, but the, the, the result of life was just to enjoy life, right? Mm-hmm. To, to enjoy pleasure. Hedonism. Hedonism. Exactly. Now, the closest thing we'll see that to today is, um, like a modern day existentialist. Now, modern day existentialists though, don't believe in God at all. So, mm-hmm. you know, a, a modern day version of this would, would be an atheist that would say there's no God. Mm-hmm. Um, so think of Frederick Nietzsche, right? And, and remember Nietzsche was the one that said that God is dead because we have killed him. And what he meant was that because of the enlightenment and our mm-hmm. desire to understand ourselves and to make ourselves the greatest good, we have pretty much functionally removed God from our lives. Mm-hmm. And I think you see that today in this culture of individualism, right? We, yeah. it, it, for and the our Greeks, own minds yeah. can figure everything out. Yeah. Our own minds can figure it out. And our greatest good is enjoying life on from, for myself. Whereas the Greeks, and that's very selfish. It's very selfish. Yeah. I, I thought we tried to coach that out. Of our yeah, kids. we try, but it, you know, I think we need more than just coaching. <laughs> I think we might need Jesus, huh. but you know, it is really interesting. The Greeks said, Hey, the greatest good was worshiping these gods. So they give you what you want. Well, boil that down. What is really the greatest good then you like, they still want hmm. the gods to bless them. They're, saying that they're going to worship all these gods, but ultimately it's for their good. Right. And so we, in our post-enlightenment minds, are doing the same thing, Mm. except we're kind of removing God from the equation. Um, You know, we talked about uh, moralistic therapeutic deism yesterday. It's Mm -hmm. the same thing where it's like, if I can just do enough good in my life, then God will bless me Mm -hmm. and take me to heaven someday. And ultimately, who is the focus of our worship and um, and who is the highest good of our value? Well, it's me. It's not God in that equation. And I think that's the problem that we run into with this idolatry and this worship idea is it all comes back down to I am the the one that I value the most mm-hmm. instead of God. And without a foundational, let's say, document, just to make it simple, without something like the Bible or uh, the teachings of Krishna or um, Joseph Smith, who, who created a, another testament, without something like that, that that's what we end up doing is we the foundation then becomes ourselves and our own selfishness right. because we, so Christians we use we use our scriptures the Hebrew old the Hebrew scriptures and then the New Testament written by apostles of Jesus and um, that that's how religions are are founded most of the time you have you have a foundational text a foundational teaching 
it's hard to have a foundational idea because that idea can change. Right. And so, and I I think this, this foundational idea of the person being good of ourselves being God is what we, we get to when we go to the sparkle creed. Now the sparkle creed tries to uh, get, get at some scripture and there, there's like little small, tiny kernels of truth, but they, they are twisted to fit something that that it's not meant to do in the first place so are are we ready to get into it yeah let's give a little background on what the sparkle creed is if you're not familiar so basically um one of the things we've seen in kind of the the mainline protestant church which um has kind of fallen into what you would consider um what welcoming and affirming in many ways. And what that means is in the, uh, the conversation surrounding LGBTQIA plus and, um, some of the gender conversations, there's been a number of churches and denominations that have just taken the approach that says, Hey, you know, we want to welcome everybody into our doors and therefore we'll affirm their lifestyles. So they feel comfortable coming in our doors. And so that approach has led to, um, a framework that people are trying to uh, begin to to justify, okay, how does scripture deal with some of these issues when it comes to sexuality and it comes to gender? And they try to fit what the Bible says within their framework rather than what we would say the approach would be to build our framework around what God's word has to say. So they almost invert the relationship, right? They do it in reverse. They make scripture fit into into their own ideal. Exactly. Rather than trying to figure out what scripture's ideal is. Right. And that's where the Sparkle Creed comes from. And so um, there's some videos you can watch. uh, If you just pull it up on YouTube and look up the Sparkle Creed, you can see most recently, the one that's made most popularity is a church in uh, St. Adina, Minnesota, where there's a a church there where it was video recorded and then it's been, it's been making it circles and lots of people have commented on it. Um, But it it all started actually in Kentucky with a, um, a pastor who wrote the Sparkle Creed back in 2021. And uh, I recently just heard about it a few weeks ago, Mm -hmm. but over the last two years, it's beginning to circulate some of the social media. And, And in many ways people are making fun of it and they're laughing about it. But I think it does reveal that there is a heart issue of people trying to fit, you know, what the Bible says into a framework that they want to make sense that we need to, to take serious and again, show grace to those who are trying to navigate and understand these things. So Darren, do you want to, you want to read it for us? Yeah. So here's how it reads. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the AIDS quilt whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the call to teach each of us that love is love is love. So beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. Amen. It's really interesting when you look at this Sparkle Creed. When you think about creeds, you know, you can go back and you can read 1 Corinthians 15 and what we see is, you know, Paul writing within probably 15 years of Jesus' death is, mm-hmm. you know, giving in a, a creed. And some people say that that section could even come from like 
two years or less. Yeah, Jesus exactly. Died. So it's something that the church would have recited about, you know, about who Jesus was. You have the Apostles' Creed, right? Another uh, creed that through the the history of the church, people would recite, mm-hmm. right? Ways to that would be able to communicate the truth that we see in God's scripture in a way that we can memorize. And so, I'll, I'll mention this. A lot of most, all, all of those probably were responses to other teachings in the church that were then declared as heresy. Because in the early church, as you're really defining your theology and what you believe, there could be two competing ideas and you have to, for example, the, the Trinity, we see it all over scripture where there is talking about God as, as father, God as son, God as spirit. Um, and, and to really understand what that is, they, they did systematically create out of scripture, a doctrine of the Trinity, whereas other teachings in the church that were not, they were kind of fringe, but, but, but they had to define it that they came and said, no, like Jesus is God and he's human. Right. God, the father is God and God, the spirit is God. And, and, and it's responses against other teachings in the church. And so what we're yeah. doing today, we're trying to, we're coming into this thing and, and we're going to talk about how some of this is not most of the, all of this is just not grounded in, in the truth of scripture. Right. It's taking verses and plugging them in and trying to say something. They don't really yeah. Say. Cause a creed often is just a way to give us handles for what, for how to communicate what we believe, right? And especially in an oral culture, you think about when the Apostles' Creed would have taken off and, and many of those things that we see in the early church creeds. It's just a, a way to give you a handle and give you the ability to communicate truth in a way that you can memorize and you can share easily with others. So the Sparkle Creed is doing the exact same thing you're saying. It's trying to take, it's trying to now um, reframe what the Bible has to say. But what's interesting about it is not one of the the facts that they talk about here are rooted in Scripture. Um, the closest could be the first statement. Yeah, because we do see in Scripture that God is spirit, right? We, yeah. we, we see in, in um, you know, the over and over again, you know, Jesus talks about how, you know, the, God is spirit. And, and so, you know, they talk about God being non-binary, whose pronouns are plural. And so are they, are they leaning towards saying that, you know, God is, is spirit? Or are they trying to make a point here that says that we need to be open to genderless mm-hmm. society and where, genderless humans. and genderless yeah. humans? So, so here's the thing about the non-binary God. So non-binary is not a biblical term. Um, it, it is a term in English. And when we come to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, we, uh, I think where this is coming from is, for example, Genesis 1.26, where it said, well, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. And um, it is true that the Hebrew behind those words are plural. It, it is us. It is our Um, and yet, and we've talked about this way back at the beginning of this greater story podcast, how this is more, it's, this is not meaning to say that God is non-binary and his pronouns are plural. Rather, it is saying that God is so great that he cannot be described as singular, that he must be described in the plural. The, the word Elohim is plural gods, but it is a title for the singular God that reveals himself to us in scripture. And so um, is God and so non-binary is referring to this idea that there there are not just men and women that it's not just one or the other but there there's a spectrum and and God fits that spectrum okay God created gender 
before right. he created man and male and female, there was God. God, God really is without gender because he created it for humanity to live into. But that doesn't mean that we're going to come later and assign this human ideal of not being male or female to God. Like God, like the, while it is true that these are not categories for God to fit into, what God does do is reveal himself primarily as masculine, as right. male, as father, as he, within scripture, within the Hebrew language, within the Greek language. That is how the language is is identifying God as. And and he reveals himself as father, as, as a man, as he, um, but he also has feminine characteristics. So one of the biggest ones is that God is uh, described as, as a... Um, as a as a bird, is it a hawk or an eagle, um, who who protects his her young, and and there there are feminine characteristics that we ascribe to God. What's really curious to me about this, Darren, is that you know if they are pulling the Sparkle Creed from Genesis one, where God says, "Let us make man in our image," what you see is that right after that. You know, it says, well, we're going to make them male and female. And so they immediately, you know, the, the scriptures immediately communicate that God has a plan for gender, that God makes male and he makes female. We see that with the animals and we see that with men and women. And ultimately, that's the design for creation, right? To, to procreate, to f- fulfill the earth, to be fruitful and multiply. You have to have male and yet the female. That's God's design. But yet they talk about here that, you know, they believe in a non-binary God who pronouns are plural. And then they say, I believe in Jesus Christ, their child who wore a fabulous tunic and has two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. Well, what we see in scripture is that God has revealed to us in three persons, mm-hmm. the, the, the Trinity, we have father, we have son and we have Holy spirit, right? We don't have anywhere in scripture that talks about that. Jesus was the first cre- created one. What we see instead is that Jesus was the one who created. So mm-hmm. he was eternal with the father. He was internal with the father. So, you know, the heavenly father, Jesus Christ, his son, and the Holy Spirit, they eternally existed forever mm-hmm. in the Godhead. And so here in the Sparkle Creed, they're saying that Jesus, you know, they're, they're playing on the word of Jesus being the son of God, which he is revealed to us as the son of God, mm-hmm. um, as being born and having two fathers, which is, again, is we, you know, yeah, trying two, to fit within a framework. But, but specifically two dads. Right. Two dads. Um, which it, it, I believe that's referring to Joseph. And then to God as as his other dad, right. his other father. I think so. Whereas um, he he was again. Th- there's some truth. Like yeah, Jesus had an earthly father and a heavenly father. But when we come and read this in the context of, of what they're they're trying to affirm, is it's Jesus was not raised by two dads. He had a mom. Right. Her name was Mary. She is one who birthed him and raised him and was still there when he died. Right. And they don't mention this. Um, it's, exactly. it's only that he had two dads. Well, no, he was raised by by a mother and a father. He had a heavenly father, which we all do, and right. And so it should, they're they're purposely leaving that out, which is one of the foundational parts of our other creeds. It is that that Mary was, you know, what well, was his mother was his and, mother, and, and he was born. Jesus was born 
to a virgin. Yeah, and, and I think that's essential when we think about the divinity of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't overlook the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin, that Mary mm-hmm. was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph was Jesus's stepdad. You know, he was his earthly father, right? Yeah. And uh, Joseph, an awesome guy. I wish, you know, which we actually had more information about him. Mm-hmm. He sounds like he's a fantastic guy. Uh, but again, you're right. They're purposely leading it out. And then it talks about the rainbow spirit, you know, and it, and it makes a point who shatters our image of one white light and reflects it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. And I think we would agree that God has made this world very diverse, that mm-hmm. God has made uh, this world beautiful and the people of this world beautiful, with different skin colors, different eye colors, different hair colors. But I think the the, the the point of this is it's it's attributing something to the Holy Spirit that isn't meant to be said. The Holy Spirit, it is you know, a member of the Trinity, a member of the Godhead and the Holy Spirit is the one that comes into our lives and, um, convicts us of sin, who communicates God's truth. And in in this case, it's giving the Holy Spirit really just one job. And that's to, to shatter our view of, uh, of Mm -hmm. maybe a, um, I'm not really sure the right way to even say it, but maybe shatter our view that there is just one pattern in life. And and if someone has ever have ever ever heard or thought that Christianity is a white man's religion, I, I'm so sorry that that is how you view Christianity because it's not. Christianity started with Jews from the Middle East and expanded both east and west and south into Africa. In fact, one of the oldest established churches is still in Ethiopia. Um, there were Christians who followed Jesus in India long before it made its way to to northern Anglo-Saxon white right. uh, areas of Europe. Yeah. Um, and it, it, was, it, was ne- it was never founded as a white man's religion. There are unfortunate things that, ha- that have happened through corrupt men and corrupt people in the West who have uh, committed atrocities in the name of Jesus and, and had wars, which we do not believe is correct. So, yeah, the, the next part, I'm, I'm honestly not really sure where it comes from, um, the whole patches on the AIDS quilt, the feet are grounded in mud, uh, whose eyes gaze in the stars at wonder. Uh, no, both of us are quite educated on, on scripture and we're not, do you know, is there anything that this comes from? I don't, I don't think so. No, I think it's, uh, you know, just another, uh, attempt to try to talk about just the differences, you know, cause that's the framework that I think this sparkle creed comes out of. It's like, Hey, we're going to celebrate our differences. Um, you know, which we as we as believers and, and people that look at the scriptures say, yeah, God has made us different. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want us all to be to fit within one just, you know, one frame. Like we want all of us to recognize that there's different cultures and we do, you know, that's the beauty of God's creation. And, but the other beauty is that we are united in Christ. But we are united that's in Christ. That's the more beautiful thing. That is, and, and that has to be the foundation yes. in our identity. But instead, I think their attempt in this piece and talking about the AIDS quilt is just, rec- it, it's in a way trying to uh, affirm that the differences in the way people live and the sin in their life, um, that we should accept it all as God given. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the last statement is, I believe in the call to each of, to call to each of us that love is love is love. So beloved, let us love. Um, the love of God, of course, is a huge thing. Um, I, I think one thing that is missing even as we talk about God's love, as, as we sing about God's love often in church, we think of it as as an emotional um, 
warm and runny kind of thing. I don't right. know if you've ever heard <laughs> heard that. It's a very common thing for me to think about. Like, oh, that just makes me feel warm and runny inside. Yeah. Um, that's the, like while there is a certain aspect of God's love in that, more apt to describe God's love is covenantal covenantal faithfulness. Right. This is the the word Chesed in Hebrew. Yeah. Where it, it's God's faithfulness to you in the promise that He made. But if we break this covenant, then God is not bound by his word because it is broken. Right. And so that's what we see in some covenants in the Old Testament where um, he made this promise to Judah that there's going to be like, you will be my ruling tribe. Well, there's some people from Judah who messed it up. So he he narrows it down to the tribe um, or to the family of Jesse. He chooses right. David. Well, David messes it up, but he's still relatively faithful. And so that line continues. Um, he, he makes a covenant with Saul as well. If you will be, be a good king, then I will be your God. Right. But, but Saul messes, Saul it, messes up, it up. And so that covenant is broken. Yeah. Uh, we, we have to be careful when we talk about love in our culture that we don't only think about the emotional connection we have with our Heavenly Father, with God the Son, Father, and Spirit. We also have to understand that God's love is that He is faithful and that He will be faithful to the end as we continue in a relationship with him. Right. And I think the last line, the last statement of this line is that he says, let us love. And I think the overarching view of this framework is that we love by affirming and accepting everyone. And there is no, um, you know, there's no room in that to, to call people to, to truth and repentance. Whereas when we see in scripture, you know, it, 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 we, we see this characteristic that God is love, but also, as we said earlier, that there's grace and truth. Mm-hmm. And part of grace and truth is that we reveal what is, what is hurtful in our lifestyle and what is good for us. And so part of the idea is we, we show grace but at the same time, we have to call people to truth because God has created the world to work in such a way where he tells us what's best for us. You know, the Bible isn't all just positive affirmations. It's all, you know, Paul talks over and over again. Hey, you know, don't, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Don't, you know, season your speech with, with truth and with grace and all of these things. And so, you know, the idea of let us love overlooks the the call that Jesus has our best life in mind when he tells us what's bad for us. And so all the thou shalls and thou shall nots aren't meant to, you know, to, to take something away from us, but to give freedom and, and joy and life to us. And I think in this framework, what they're doing is they're trying to take away the call to truth. Mm-hmm. Well, if you've made it this far, congratulations. We've been here for a while, <laughs> um, but uh, we hope that if you're listening and you truly have an open mind to think and discuss and, and, and talk about these things. We hope that we've given you some food for thought. Um, we hope that we haven't um, misspoke. Um, if we have, most of you who are listening know where you can find us and, and come and talk to us about it. Um, and we, we'd love to continue this conversation with any of you. So uh, we're almost at like 40 minutes here. Do you have hey. parting thoughts? Or? Oh, man. I think just, you know, we're on the journey together. Let's keep the discussion going. And, you know, our goal, obviously, is just to be able to take that next step in our faith. And so much of that happens around discussion as we think about who's God calling us to be. So um, let's keep talking about this because I think it helps us to identify and filter the things in our world so we can make sense of them in light of what the Bible says. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Pastor Drew. Thanks, Darren. Appreciate you. Until next time, I'm Darren Enns, and hopefully Rob will be back with us to keep us on track. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. See ya. You have been listening to More to the Story. 
a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, more to the story. Podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of More to the Story.